0: As we gather together today to worship God, we do so only because we're empowered by His Spirit. Without the Spirit's guidance, the God we worship could easily become an impotent God of our own creation. So we invite the same Spirit who was hovering over the waters at creation to take His rightful place among us today. We ask that we would be given eyes to see Jesus because of vision granted us by his Spirit. We ask that the living God make us worshippers of him, not of our experience or a musical style. Spirit of God, we surrender ourselves to you during these next few minutes. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Please sit. Good morning. And so we launch a new series on the Holy Spirit. And uh, really, although we are setting ourselves up for initially for five weeks, this is still only an overview. I've done quite a lot of reading and refreshed myself in the Spirit this week. And I've just been staggered again, as always when I teach on this subject, by the the length and the breadth of, of Scripture about the Holy Spirit and yet, in the church today, there seems to be a lack of understanding in the Holy Spirit. We are truly in the age of the Spirit. Those of you who are attending to, listening to my prayers at the end of the worship time will know that, that, that this is the age of the Spirit. This is the time when the Spirit of God is abroad in His church, inspiring and empowering us to, be the, to bring the kingdom of God. We see it in all sorts of ways, little acts of kindness through the worship of the the church, the compassion of the church, through things like Habitat, through humanity, although that is not a Christian organization. We bring the Spirit with us when we send teams out there. It's an exciting time, an invigorating time, and I'm delighted that we're beginning to, to look at this. You know, this whole move of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to call it that, Although it's something that that has been present in the church since the birth of the church, for a long time it seemed to go underground. And then at the beginning of the last century, something quite remarkable happened in a little Pentecostal, or they didn't call it that, a little shack in a place called Azusa Street in Los Angeles. And in that church there was a, a simple a very simple setup, none of all this lovely A V stuff we have these days. And the pastor there was not a great speaker. He was just a passionate man. In fact most of the time he spent on the floor with his head underneath the front pew crying, weeping up and, and asking God to visit and renew and refresh. Well, he got more than he bargained for. An extraordinary event took place. The whole place just came alive. People came from from miles around. In fact, before long, people were coming from hundreds of miles around. And before long, people were coming from other nations to see what was going on in this ramshackle place in downtown Los Angeles. It actually then birthed a movement, and the Pentecostal charismatic movement today is the most vibrant part of the church worldwide. Christianity is the fastest growing religion on the face of this earth. It is the largest religion on the face of this earth. And the Pentecostal charismatic element of the of the church is the most exciting, vibrant, and vigorous part, healthiest part of the church we came into this, Fliss and myself, as many of you know, and I'm not going to tell the story again. If you want to catch the story, if you missed out, we, we do have our DVD on the, the bookstall about the birth of this church. But, but Fliss and I came into this, and, and we weren't... We weren't aware of what was going on elsewhere, but we, do know, we did know that we had a, a hunger and a thirst for more of God. And we found that in the Anglican church of the day, and this was the mid-70s, something was beginning to stir and something was beginning to happen. And what had happened before that was that the Pentecostal movement had kind of, like wildfire, had leapt across the denominations and was now... From the mid 60s, setting on fire the the mainstream denominations. First of all, the Anglicans, then the Methodists, Baptists, and then lastly, the, the, the Catholic Church, and there is a large Catholic charismatic movement. In fact, David Payne, who is a good friend of ours and often preaches here, brings his family here once a, a month, he, he, he is a, a, an evangelist in the Catholic Church. He was responsible for bringing Alpha to the Catholic Church. Over a million Catholics have done the Alpha course now. Isn't that astounding? This book's just come out. It's, it's written by David. He gave me a freebie, which is lovely. Uh, it's called Alive. We've got a few copies on the bookstore. I've just finished reading it. it it's a light read, but you know what? It does you good. It, it's one of those books that kind of tells a story, and it's all very sort of engaging. But as the book progresses, there's some really good things. Check out the chapter on death. Boy, was I challenged about that. You can get that on the bookstore. So the Holy Spirit then kind of would not be confined, would not be suppressed, would not be left out of the picture and the beginning of the last century as I said burst out again and now is alive and working in and through the church. We want to kind of get in on this again we want to recommit to this we want to sort of step up to the plate and get engaged with what God is doing uh, through his Holy Spirit and so we're going to be giving an overview on the work of the Holy Spirit over the next five weeks but to begin at the beginning let's go back to the scripture last Sunday for those of you who were here we celebrated Easter well shortly after that so the scriptures tell us another series of events began to take place. Let's have our first reading. There's going to be quite a few passages of Scripture this morning. They'll come up on the screen, and I've given you most of them, but not all of them in the notes in your new sheet. But you can uh, check those out and fill them in and, and then go over them again this week. We love to give you a little homework. It does you good too. So anyway, the first passage then is from Acts chapter 1, beginning at the first verse. This is the author of the Acts Is Luke. Luke also wrote the the memoirs of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and he is continuing that story in the the Book of Acts. Says this In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. with the Holy Spirit, three things I want to just draw your attention to: Jesus didn't just appear once to his disciples, but many times. In fact, Paul tells us on a one occasion he was with two hundred people at one time, and he ate with them. He he shared meals with them. He he, he lived with them. This was following his death. But before his ascension into heaven. That's the first thing. The second thing I want you to notice is, is this, this wonderful little phrase, and hang on to this one. Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. You know, we talked about last week about salvation being a gift, not something we can earn or 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 you know pay for buy or bargain for. It's a gift. So is the Holy Spirit. God gives the Holy Spirit. He is. He gives himself to us. Undeserved though that may be. He gives himself to us. And the third thing I want you to notice John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, Richard was doing a plug for our baptisms next week. Fliss and I are off to the States on Wednesday. Our daughter is in labor even as I speak. Well, hey! She's been in labor for about... Well, thank you. God bless her. She started early yesterday morning and been on and off, but it looks like things are really moving along now. So we're off to uh, California to visit our daughter this weekend. But next weekend... I honestly wish I could have been here. There's going to be some bapti- baptisms taking place. But that word bapti- baptized here, the Greek root of it is to be drenched. So when, it talks of when the Spirit, Spirit speaks of you know, being baptized and Jesus says be baptized with the Holy Spirit, be drenched. When was the last time you got drenched? I mean really drenched. We don't get drenched these days, do we? We just don't do drenched. You know, we sort of rush from our house to our car to to the corner shop 300 yards down the road and then rush back from the corner shop to the car to the house. We don't get drenched. But as a kid, I remember, you know, I used to walk to school and many a times I would come back home from school just sopping wet, drenched. I remember a holiday in the Lake District... Yeah, yeah, some of you all know where I'm going with this. I think we developed webbed feet that holiday. We were drenched. So we're not talking of a sprinkling or a dusting or a refreshing little kind of, oh, isn't it lovely to be out here? We're talking about being saturated. We're talking to be overwhelmed. We're talking about being drenched in the Holy Spirit. Are you drenched in the Holy Spirit? Do you know, I wish I could stand before you and say I'm drenched in the Holy Spirit. I have been drenched. But what happens when you get drenched? If you give if give it time, you start to dry off, don't you? I need to be drenched again. Hands up here if you think you need to be drenched again in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Well, it sounds like this series might interest you then. So Jesus says, you know, wait for the gift that you may be drenched In the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus actually, this wasn't. This may have come as a surprise to the disciples, but this was not the first time that Jesus had spoken to the disciples about this. And I want us to look at the next little thing. This was some teaching that Jesus gave earlier on in John chapter seven, and uh, it says this. Jesus said, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from with him. Streams of living water will flow from him. By this he meant to the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time... The Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. This is speaking of this time, this season, when we can be drenched in the Holy Spirit, but saying it's not happened yet because Jesus has not died, he's not been resurrected, and he's not been glorified and ascended into heaven. And as we heard in that reading after the worship, Jesus said, I've got to go because when I go, I will send him the Holy Spirit to drench you okay. the other thing I wanted to just draw out of this and this is a a chance for one or two people to earn a brownie point interesting turn of phrase this Jesus uses streams of living water will flow from within him can anyone else tell me to earn a brownie point where we read of streams of living water shout it out Isaiah thank you yep we do indeed Ezekiel yep Anyone else? One more. Revelation, thank you. That was the one I wanted. The very end, in the, last, the closing chapter of the Bible, the last chapter, we have a vision of heaven. And part of this vision of heaven, let me see if I can turn it up very quickly. Part of this vision of heaven in Revelation chapter 22 Begins this, Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, living water, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. So this vision of a stream of living water flowing from what? The very presence of God, his throne, from where he is, where he dwells. This this kind of, this theme of life, Water flowing from his presence is something that weaves its way rather like a meandering river through the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New. And then in this final vision of heaven itself. But here, Jesus is saying, streams of living water will flow from you, from within you. Interesting one. Hold that thought. Last little piece of scripture I want to read as part of my introduction here is from a very well-known passage to, to many Pentecostal charismatic Christians, may not be so well-known to others, but uh, Joel chapter 2 in the Old Testament, that's way before Jesus was born, says this, Joel chapter 2, it's, a, it's a, what we call a prophecy, it's, it's a man of God, or a woman of God it could be, but in this case a man of God prophesying... With, with, with a kind of sense of foreknowledge and insight of the future of what's going to happen. Joel chapter 2 that says this, And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will pour out my spirit. I will pour out my spirit. I will pour out my spirit. The imagery is interesting different voices different ages different seasons different times describing an event and it all involves this kind of drenching sense this pouring out this this water kind of that cannot be contained just completely sort of involving us and overwhelming us so let's Let's just draw this conclusion at this stage that the Holy Spirit, even though the church seems to say so little about him or seems to to know so little about him, actually the Holy Spirit has always been part of the picture. In that film clip we introduce this this series with, we see that in the first verse of the first chapter in the first book of the Bible, it starts with the Holy Spirit hovering, as it says, hovering. Over a formless, a formless sea. And then the creation begins. He's there at the beginning. He's there at the end. He's infused into every part of the scripture as we go through. How is it that the church has missed this? How is it that the church plays this down? How is it that the church has not grasped the import of the Holy Spirit? If you want a little bit of additional homework. Read through the Acts of the Apostles over the next two or three weeks. Slowly and thoughtfully and look out for references of the Holy Spirit you would be amazed at what the Holy Spirit does he is folks the third person of the Trinity we as Christians believe in God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit He is an essential part of our experience and an essential part of the the presence, the kingdom, the story, the gospel, the toolkit even of what the church needs today to get done what Jesus has called us to do. The holy who I put down here. The Holy Spirit, God's presence in his church today. I I did a little word search, you know, everybody's got these little Bible search engines these days, you can get them free, download them on the internet, and I just tapped in the Holy Spirit. I was overwhelmed. There were over 250 references to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament alone. A number of them caught my eye, so I started writing them down. And then once I started, I couldn't stop. And I filled five pages of my, my, a, you know, my uh, legal pad of just reference, 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 reference. It was a fascinating experience. I, I reflected. I looked over it again this morning. And, and the, the nuances and the dynamics, he guides the church. He speaks. He, he, he sets vision for the church. But, but also that the personality of the Holy Spirit comes through. There's an occasion in the Acts of the Apostles where, where Peter says to a couple of people who tried to rip the church off, they thought they were ripping the disciples off, but he says, how could you? How could you lie to the Holy Spirit? Such was that sense of the, the presence of God, such was that, that awareness of the work of the Holy Spirit. How could you lie to the Holy Spirit? Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Another says, to, to The Pharisees, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You know, I have to ask myself, you can do what you like with it, but I have to ask myself, Have I ever lied to the Holy Spirit? Have I ever grieved the Holy Spirit? Do I from time to time resist the Holy Spirit? I don't know about you, but that I find a sobering thought. I've got to take that one away with me. Because I suspect that from time to time I do and I have. So the Holy Spirit is, is not a sort of bolt on on extra. I remember first, very early on after Phyllis and myself got what they call baptized in the Holy Spirit, drenched in the Holy Spirit. I, I met, I, I've got to be careful what I say here because I don't want to you know, speak too uh, inappropriately. But I met one of the staff at Ripon Cathedral, and he was a younger man, and he and I kind of hit it off. And um, after the service one day, I said to him, My wife and I are going out for lunch at a pub, do you want to come? He was a single man. And uh, he came with us to lunch, and we got off to, uh, like a house on fire. And there were so many exciting things happening in our life at that time that. It wasn't long before the conversation got round to what God was doing and the journey that we were on. And I I said to him, I said, you know, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Have you been drenched in the Holy Spirit? And I was astounded by the reaction. He said, oh, no, 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 no. No, I don't do that sort of Pentecostal thing. You know, I'm an Anglican. I was absolutely staggered. You know, sometimes we exclude ourselves with with great politeness and, and dexterity. From what God is about, because it kind of is a bit all, you know, it it just sets our teeth on edge a bit and gosh, we're out of control and we're afraid of going crazy or something. Well, you know, in 30 odd years, I haven't seen too many people go crazy, but I've seen a lot of people filled with joy. A lot of people knowing God's peace. A lot of people's lives have been turned around and transformed and changed by the work of the Holy Spirit. Have they, have they lost their, their marbles and gone berserk? No. But there's this kind of irrational fear that, you know, if the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we might be like demon possessed. Well, that's not the way it works. The di- significant difference between demon possession and the work of the Holy Spirit is, is exactly in the, in, in the way I described it. Demons possess. They make you do things you don't want to do. The Holy Spirit always works in community and in family and in partnership. It is possible to resist the Holy uh, uh, Holy Spirit. The Holy Devil? (laughs) (laughs) It's a partnership. He invites us. To be partners with him and that's possibly why the church has gone a bit cold over the centuries from time to time. I think we're in a good phase now actually. But from time to time the church has gone a bit cold because the the church has got involved in in other things and other interests and other concerns. and Very often self-preservation and it says to the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, (laughs) very kind of you to offer but just a bit busy at the moment. How many of us, when the Holy Spirit has come knocking on our door, prompting us to do some, you know, to get involved in some passion of His, how many times we said, "You know, it's really kind of you to ask," and "Boy, yeah, yeah, wow." Uh, Listen, I'll tell you what. I'll get back to you, all right? I'll get back to you. Is the Holy Spirit waiting for you to get back to Him? on something that he prompted you about maybe years ago. I, I just need to get this degree. I just, I just need to make a bit more money. I, I, I just need a wife. I just need a boyfriend. I, I, I just, you know, I'm... I, uh, <coughs> yeah, thank you. Absolutely, yeah. I'll get back to you. What is all this about? Why is it so important that that God is allowed to live in his church? Well, again, it's something that was always on his agenda. And much of what we'll learn about the Holy Spirit is about actually aligning ourselves with God's vision, his agenda. But way, way, way back in the book of Ezekiel, somebody mentioned Ezekiel. This is another reference to the prophet Ezekiel, a very ancient prophet, pre-Jesus the Lord says through this Ezekiel, I will give them an undivided heart. I will give them an undivided heart. I suspect my heart has been divided from time to time. How about you? But way back, pre-Jesus coming as a baby, dying on the cross, the pouring out of the Spirit, Ezekiel said this, Inspired by God himself, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Is your heart a little bit crusty around the edges when it comes to God? Do you need God to give you a heart transplant? You know there was a very critical moment and I'm forgive me folks, um, for those of you who've heard my stories some of you heard them all several times over I apologize but I haven't got any others I could make a few up for you if you like <laughs> but I'd rather not let me just tell you the truth the way it is there was a critical moment in Fliss of my journey in this whole adventure which has become the kingdom and, and, and this little part of the kingdom the church here when I was Beginning to sense that God was speaking to me and fighting it tooth and nail. Many of you know that story. There was a moment where I'd been reading one or two books, books of you like, like David Payne's Alive book. And there was a moment where the the author in this particular book felt that God was saying them to do something. And it was to kneel down in the street and pray. Uh, And they just could not bring themselves to do that. And they, and they said, no, oh gosh. And they walked up and down the street several times and they wanted to, they wanted to do it, but they couldn't bring themselves to do it. This is a, this is a story about, by David Wilkinson, The Cross and Switchblade. Some of you will know that book. And he just cannot bring himself to do it. And I'm reading this thing and I'm really not into God, but I'm sort of getting there slowly. And I thought, well, that's not a big thing. Heck, you know. After a good Friday night, I fell face down on the pavement, let alone kneel on the pavement, you know. What's, what's so difficult about that, you know? Alan, do you know, I think that was the first time I heard the voice of God because in that instant the Lord spoke to me and said burn your guitar. Boy, was that out of left field. Now I haven't got time to develop this story, but I had I was singing around folk clubs then and uh, beginning to really get into it, really enjoying it and I just bought a very nice guitar. And the Lord just said, burn your guitar. Okay, you think that's easy? Well, I'll give you something that you may not find so easy. Burn your guitar. Well, long story short, I went home, lots of turmoil and anguish, and I kept being convicted by my own words and the scorn I'd poured upon this character in this book, and I ended up, and Fliss was not quite with me at this stage. Fliss was still kind of alarmed by what was happening to her husband. But I went upstairs, and I got this guitar, and I took it outside, and I put it on where we had our, our bonfire, and I poured lighter fuel on it and put matches on it and they didn't want light which was difficult but eventually it burst into flames and I stood there absolutely convinced that I'd finally lost my my marbles I'd, I'd actually I thought this is crazy I'm standing here in my garden burning my guitar okay this is getting way too serious you know way 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 too serious and I went back in and I was okay at that point Fun enough I just thought i okay time out Chris time out time out you know I went in and Flissy said to me she obviously saw something she said are you all right?" and I burst into tears 24 years old I burst into tears I'm sobbing heaving tears running down me now the significance of that was that I had not cried since the night my father died when I was 12 between that date and that moment I had not cried not a tear like many of you I'd had an interesting teenage time. I'd been through some experiences, some of them great, some of them not so great. But I had toughed it out, and I came in from the garden feeling okay about burning my guitar, actually. But then Fliss said to me, "Are you all right?" And, <clears throat> and I was amazed at myself. I was amazed at where bodily fluids ooze from. Uh, sorry. I was amazed at the kind of noises, the kind of primeval noises that were coming out of me, you know. And Fliss, bless her heart, had never seen me like that and she comforted me but was clearly unnerved. <laughs> I say that to say this. Maybe God won't have to do that to you. I was, I was who I was and I had my issues, still do. But the truth of the matter is God is in the business of putting a heart of flesh back into his people and all too often the church appears hard-hearted which I think is a reflection of the people that make up the church and their need for a heart of flesh moving on next screen thank you so why, why would God do this What's on his agenda then? Why is he taking this trouble? Why doesn't he just leave us be? If it's a partnership, if it's community, why doesn't he just sort of, you know, find somebody who does like to be crying about guitars and kneeling in streets rather than people who don't want to do that? Thank you. Well, part of it actually is that we need to understand something about God Himself. God is deeply committed to family. That's why Jesus encouraged us to call him Father. And in the Trinity, in what we call the Godhead, there is community. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There is a small group there in the Godhead. There is this This wonderful, deferring, loving, giving dynamic. And do you know what? It is blissful. It is everything that relationships should be. It is so special in every single man, woman and child, I hazard a guess, we have an echo, a yearning deep within us for that kind of community, that kind of knowing and being known unconditionally with acceptance, without criticism, without judgment. There's something deep within us that responds to that. I'm, I'm sure it's the case because we're, we're like lemmings when it comes to relationships. Particularly before we found our life partner. We'll, you know, we, there's this desperate need to get into relationship. And we're being disappointed time and time again. But in the Godhead, the Trinity, there is no disappointment. And Father sees us and knows how we are made. This deep yearning to know and be known by another. And in his extraordinary generosity, invites us into that threesome. He invites us to become part of him, connected, joined at the hip as well as the heart. Now earlier on in this talk, I I, I provoked you to remember the little reference in in Revelation 22 where the, the river of God flows from the throne of God, the very presence of God. And, and I wanted you to make that connection between, you know, Jesus saying, you know, when the spirit comes upon you, rivers of living water will flop out of you. Do you see what that suggests? Do you see where that's pointing? God within us. God makes his throne within us. You know, my dear friend David, actually there's a, another chapter. I, I, I do I do recommend this book. There is another chapter in this where he preached this message, I'm sure. I'm sure he preached it, or did he nick it off me? I, I, maybe I nicked it off him, I don't know. But there's this wonderful kind of chapter where he talks about the dwelling place of God. And he takes us through the scriptures and he says how, you know, in the Old Testament, we see an occasion where God promises Moses who is busy leading the children of Israel out of Egypt he says if you'll build this ark this, this box in the way I suggest I will come and I will live in and on that box and then you'll know where I am and you'll be able to come to me and get counsel from me and so this gracious generous deferring God confines himself to God in the box The Ark. Now, the stories about that season and and the incredible, sometimes terrifying experiences of those who messed with that box, you can read and research yourself. But that wasn't the end of it. Later on, Israel finally, again by the prompting of the Lord, built a temple, and at that point, God moved from the box and lived in 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 the temple and you could go to Jerusalem and the site is there still and you could go and visit the, the temple of Jerusalem and, and God was known to be in the Holy of Holies. That place where no one ever went into. It, it was a relatively small place, but it was the place where God dwelt. Then beyond that, part of the Christian story of cross, celebrated at Christmas, God comes and dwells in the womb of a woman. What must that have been like? My daughter, even as I speak, is giving birth to little Reuben. God bless her. But what must it have been like for Mary to have the awesome presence and power of the living God in her womb? But God deigned, for for your sake and mine, to confine himself to that. And then finally, beyond that, God comes and this is a very clear strain of teaching God comes to dwell within us as individuals but more importantly as his church and that's where that's where God dwells on earth in us in the church so this was always part of God's God's plan you might like to look in 1 Corinthians 6:19 where it Paul actually says D- don't you realize folks don't you realize that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit do you know shortly after I baptized I was baptized in the spirit I-, I was a heavy smoker for years my family had been heavy smokers and it was something I did I came across that verse and instantly it just hit me between the, I'm, the, what? I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit so, so oh my gosh and I got on my knees and I, I stopped smoking like that Just that realization that wherever I go, whatever I do, whatever I sit at the computer and view, whatever I involve myself in, wherever I take myself, you're taking God too. You're taking the Holy Spirit. You're dragging him into that. So be careful where you drag yourself to. Be careful where you take him to. Now, this is where in the last five minutes of this talk, I'm going to do a bit of a switcheroo because there's a switcheroo in the scriptures. We've read the story of, according to Luke, in the beginning of Acts of, of that, come those farewell words. And then suddenly, thank you, thank you. We'll, we'll move on to the Acts 1, 6 reading. Thank you. Suddenly, the disciples have a question for Jesus. He's just talked about the, you know, the, a number of things of, about the, the spirit and the kingdom and all this. And suddenly, they say this. The disciples asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, I've always, even before I knew about this passage, I've always kind of found it was a bit of an inappropriate statement. Do you know, uh, with with four kids at home, there were a number of moments, I I wish I could tell you a few, make you smile, but there were a number number of moments when, when our kids kind of, broke in on a conversation in an inappropriate way. I remember we were going on holiday once uh, down to Cornwall and we were visiting some people who weren't yet Christians and we'd been praying with them and talking to them and they'd just relocated down to somewhere near Bristol and we were going to stop off for a cup of tea, and we were trying to keep the whole thing alive, trying to share Jesus with them, and we had a lovely time, and then just before we were going to go, my eldest daughter said, as we were sort of standing in the hallway about to leave, and it had gone oh so well, and they'd behaved so well, suddenly my eldest daughter said to, said to the husband, she said, don't you mind, you're going to hell then? <laughs> Ouch. It was kind of like, inappropriate. It started another round of conversation, I have to say, but it was kind of like, oh, oh my goodness, did she really just say what I thought she said? And it's almost like this with the disciples. They suddenly say, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, you know, on a plus side, it's good to ask questions of God. I've... You know, I started my uh, Christian walk with all sorts of misconceptions and hang-ups about God and who he was and what he was about and who I was and what I was about. But I have been so touched over the years by the way he seems to invite us to ask questions of him, to dialogue but no question is too so, so, too stupid or, or banal or ridiculous. I have learned, and it's taken me a bit of time to learn that it's okay to ask God questions. So ten out of ten guys, they ask a question, and actually on the face of it, the question isn't a bad one. The question, of course, is, Lord, are you going to uh, at this time you're going to restore the kingdom of wit to Israel? But what I know, and what you know, or what I'm about to tell you, is that they had just been arguing. But who was the greatest in the kingdom? Now that tells you something about where the heart was. You know, they were blown away by the reality that Jesus is alive. He had risen from the dead. They were excited about this, and suddenly it's—you know—their minds are running on ahead of themselves. So he's alive. So he is the Messiah. So the Messiah brings in the kingdom, right? So that means we all get great jobs and we get, you know, expense accounts and snazzy suits and the great camel and, you know, the one with the sort of gold bells on the ears and, you know, all the other trappings of wealth and power and influence. So they're all arguing about who's going to have which role and where they're going to sit and all this kind of carrying on. So the question seems innocent but actually they, they're saying uh, Lord, um, <coughs> you know, we, we, here we are, <coughs> we've, we've been here for three years Lord you know, we've put up with all sorts of rubbish I mean of course you've put up with the most rubbish but we've put up with all sorts of rubbish but now you've been raised from the dead and uh, so now it's going to be um, you know, uh, restoring the kingdom to Israel, right? Yep, 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 wrong at least not in the sense that they think. And I think what I learned from this is that actually we're all of us capable of coming to the living God, dragging in with us our own agenda, our own needs, our own baggage. Hey God, hey God, wait for me. Wait, I've just, hey, come on. Oh, God. Right, okay, God. Uh, hello, right, just a quick question you know, I'm, I really love you, God, and I go to church every Sunday and I put some money in the pot and yeah, great. Can I just ask you a question? <laughs> we drag our agendas, our baggage, our vision, our needs into the presence of God. But you know something? God has his own agenda. If you want to find out what it is, start reading the book. God has his own agenda. Jesus responds to them a lot more graciously than I would have done, I have to say. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. A little bit of a slap there. But you will receive power. Oh, that sounds good. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We catch a glimpse of the heart of God. We catch a glimpse of the image of God, of the vision of God. To make Christ known. I'm going to finish with this as I ask the band to come up perhaps they'd like to come and join me now I hope that the next few weeks will be a great adventure for all of us as we go back into the scriptures as we began to look at how the spirit functions in the church and what he does and what he doesn't do what he is and what he isn't how he transforms and works in us how he gives gifts to us to get the job done all of these things we're going to visit over the next few weeks But if you want to get ahead of the game I I want to give you a little tip here And it's another piece of scripture Luke chapter 11 If you want to be drenched in the Holy Spirit Believe me you haven't got to wait Until some awe inspiring moment Five weeks down the track When the music reaches a a crescendo And you go all over tingly You haven't got to wait that long Luke chapter eleven says this Jesus speaking again says so I say to you Ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find Knock and the door will be open to you because which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Come on, get wet. Get really wet. Be drenched in the Holy Spirit. Let's stand.